welcome to another episode of Unconditionally Unfiltered. And today is our very first episode with a guest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're not nervous at all. It's fine. Um, we're actually super excited. Yeah. Um, this has been a very big topic on my heart for quite a while. If you follow me on Instagram, you're very familiar with what it is already. Um, and we are going to be talking about human trafficking today, specifically anti-human trafficking. And we have a guest here, Candice Rivera, and she is with Exodus. Did I say that right? You did. Okay, perfect. So we're going to let her um, give you a little intro on um, herself, and then we'll dive into all the things. Yes, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be your first guest. Thank you. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, yes, my name is Candice, and I have worked in the anti-trafficking field. This will now be my 11th year. Um, I came with a medical background and originally was a medical advocate, and I wrote and spoke on behalf of individuals who are being trafficked um, for multiple different organizations, and um, ended up going on a pro bono medical case <clears throat> years ago, and uh, dove deep into the world of trafficking uh, globally, and then I was stuck, and I always, I just knew this was where I needed to be. Um, and I was in Eastern Europe and I had, uh, helped with a rescue of individuals who there was, um, about 12 of them and six were bringing back to the United States. And one particular individual was a young girl. She was 14 years old and she had visual impairments. Um, when she was six years old, her mother, who was a young teenage mom in Eastern Europe, unwed, um, very low income came to physicians and they told her that the visual impairments and disabilities she had, she couldn't take care of on her own and that they would take care of her. Fast forward a couple of years later, she found her daughter in a sex tourism ring ad online um, and ended up trying to track down her daughter. Um, I did not meet this mother, but what happened was is we were in the airport and the grandmother caught wind that we were there and had found this young girl. And she came to the airport and she handed us a bear and I was, this was my first experience where um, a, a parent or an extended parent had come in and found us in a, in a rescue situation. Um, so they didn't know what to expect, but she said, just go, just go. They murdered my daughter. I don't want them to murder my granddaughter. And the grandmother left the airport and I was just stuck. And I'm a mom, I'm a single mom. Um, and I just thought, oh, that mom died trying to find her daughter. Uh, she never got to see her. And I knew in that moment, this was years ago, that I had to do this, that at the end of the day, when I meet this mom as another mom, that I could look her in the eyes and say, I saw your daughter. I saw her, I heard her, and we, we got her out. And I knew that I needed to do that for other ones because I know that there are more moms and, and other children who are waiting to be heard and young individuals and, and women and men who are waiting to be heard, waiting to be seen. And I knew this is what I needed to do. <laughs> and so I continued working in the anti-trafficking world for a couple of years, working alongside some familiar operators, uh, whether that was in security or the medical or the post-care um, triage, whether it was advocating or speaking. Um, we kind of came together in our experiences and realized there were a lot of gaps in the anti-trafficking world. 
And so we came together when we formed Exodus. Uh, we piloted a program with a, um, a well-known and familiar other, another anti-trafficking organization about four and a half years ago. Um, the concept and the theology behind that program works really well, and we, we took that internationally as well, um, utilized the way uh, we exited individuals and plugged them into long-term aftercare, which was so important. We realized um, trafficking is a young field. We're talking it, it not more than 25 years old, and, and in the last five years has really become eye-opening to the general public, and, and light has been shown on it. And so we don't have a ton of research um, and a lot of experience. So if you've been in this field for 10 years, um, you, you are considered a veteran and somewhat of an expert. Then we realized we were doing some things wrong. And some of those things were uh, rescuing individuals, taking them out, and not having a place for them to go. And our research had shown that the attrition rates of a trafficked individual would go extremely high if they didn't have a long-term aftercare restorative program to go into, which means they would either turn back to trafficking, they would be murdered, or they would uh, die from suicide or overdose. Um, And the average age of a trafficked individual only hits 22. And so we're looking at fairly young people uh, with not a very uh, great outcome if they're not taken well care of. Um, A trafficked individual attempts to leave trafficking um, about 5.8 times, so a little over five times before they become successful in actually exiting a trafficking world. And so, yeah. And so we knew we needed to fill that gap. We, need, we needed to bring that number down. We needed to bring the attrition rates down. And so we started filling those gaps in Exodus. And uh, that's, that's where we are. Yeah, and just so um, our audience can kind of get a picture, I think over the last, like you said, the last five years, it's, very, it's been brought to light. And I think this year especially, it's been brought to light. And I know you see a lot of those like wow factor posts or the shocking images or just statistics that you don't really know are accurate. Um, And I know when we talked last, you talked about how trafficking looks different in every area, like cities, states, countries, it looks different everywhere. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, the United States doesn't get to see a really big picture. Um, Our media kind of controls what we see. And so we see a lot of images of of young individuals, children in basements or in jungles with duct tape over their mouth or chained to a wall. And that's not actually the truth of trafficking. It does look different in different regions of the world. I worked heavily in orphan trafficking and orphan trade and the sex trade in Eastern Europe. Um, and, And the African continent, you see mass child slaves, uh, labor and domestic slaves happening there. Um, that is, uh, we talked about this before, very close to my heart because I have two boys um, in these ages. And between the ages of five and seven, so fairly young, the militias will take these boys out of their homes and they will have them rape, beat, murder their family members, their fathers, their mothers, their sisters, their aunts. Then they turn around the next day or a couple days later and hand them a machine gun or, or some type of weapon and they'll sell them for whatever bidding price it is for, hey, this one murdered his father and can handle an AR-15. Well, well this six-year-old murdered his mother and his sister and can handle an AR-15. He's worth $50 more than the other one. And a bidding war happens and they get taken into these militias. And currently right now on the African continent, it is genocide. Um, and that is a, a type of, of human trafficking is taking these young children and selling them and enslaving them into fighting uh, against uh, rebel militias. Um, we moved down to places like Colombia and Peru and South America. Um, the sex economy looks completely different than it does in Eastern Europe, um, in the red light districts in Eastern Europe and in the orphan trading there. 
Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit more brothel type kind of what you've seen in movies and in Hollywood produces that sex trafficking, um, sex economy. Um, and also that's where we see organ harvesting and you have farms of young individual, uh, women and they have children. And unfortunately those children are taken and the organs are harvested and sold on the black market. And then you move to the United States the United States sex economy looks different than those places as well. Um, you may see, um, a 17 year old foster child who doesn't have a home, doesn't have parents, doesn't have someone watching them. They get enticed by an individual. Um, they fall in love. They think it's their first love. And this individual then says, hey, I need $20 to pay for my cell phone bill. Can you perform a sex act on my friend? He'll give us $20. And before you know that $20 turns into $100, and these sex acts become one, two, up to 17, 20 times a day. And this 17-year-old girl is being trafficked in downtown. We're in Utah, so in Salt Lake City. Uh, we see that all the time. It's actually grown exponentially over the last year and during the COVID pandemic. Um, and so trafficking does look different. And I think in the U S we have kind of, a a very, uh, small perception of that in the way the images and graphics we see on social media and how it's portrayed. Um, and so we think trafficking, just sex trafficking, um, but trafficking, the word is actually a legal term. It, it, what trafficking really is, is exploitation of a vulnerable population, and so we created trafficking, that term, to uh, prosecute individuals uh, years ago. That was created. But really, it's exploitation of vulnerable people. And these vulnerable people can be a foster child in the United States just as much as it can be the orphan girl that I found um, in Eastern Europe. So what's like the correct terminology, would you say, human exploitation? We, we, we refer to them as exploited individuals yeah. and, and trafficked persons. Um, a, a lot of the, so the really neat thing that Exodus has is we have a lot of, um, rescued or exited trafficked persons. They don't like the word rescue actually. And they don't like the word survivor, um, because they're more than that rescue makes them feel like they were weak. Um, survivor makes them feel that's all that they are. And they're so much more than that. Yeah. And so we like to say the ex, um, an exited trafficked person or trafficked individual. Yeah. That's good yeah. to know. Um, and another thing you talked to me about is just how insane things have gotten with COVID. I know you kind of mentioned mm. that. Have you seen a shift in the United States as well as around the world? Um, I know that you said there's like countries that we physically can't get into now. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the United States, uh, child pornography has increased 300%. Um, a mass amount of the child pornography that's happening in the United States. And the United States is the most, the, the largest consumer of child pornography in the world. Um, you will see uh, child pornographic images pass through uh, our sites and our IP addresses in the United States um, 16 times faster per second than anywhere else in any other country in the world. And over COVID, this when we had these lockdowns, quote unquote, for months, it just increased at phenomenal rates. Um, the individuals that are in these images are not willingly in these images. Those are trafficked individuals, um, and a majority of them are children. Uh, and so our pornography rates have gone up and the child pornographic images along with movies has increased significantly. A lot of the trafficked individuals are being trafficked more heavily under, under lock and key. And so it's not as visible. Um, and then the countries actually, I, I have a story. Um, we were supposed to be in a country, we were in Eastern Europe in January. Um, and so we knew we were going to go back and get a particular set of, of kids. 
um, who were being trafficked by a sect that we had been working with. Um, and COVID happened and we were able to get back into this country. Um, and so two months had gone by. We ended up having a team be able to go on, on foot from another a neighboring country. They weren't supposed to be there. Um, and these, uh, a trafficker dumped six children. And so when a trafficker dumps people, which happens even in the U.S., they leave them somewhere. Either they lock them up because they're worried they're going to tell law enforcement or, or a neighboring trafficker and or drug dealer and or arms dealer and, and kind of have that criminal war set. Um, or because they don't have the means to take care of those individuals anymore. So there's either fear behind it or they don't have the resources to take care of them. We believe it was probably because of the pandemic. They didn't have the resources. They ended up dumping um, six children. And over two months, four of the six children starved to death. And so these six kids were locked in a room in the middle of a city. People were going around them and doing business, daily business, every day for two months. And no one knew that they were down there. And they died. And it shouldn't happen. Someone should have known that they're there. And that same thing happens in the United States under lock and key. Uh, people go missing in the United States and are trafficked every single day. Yeah. Yeah, That's like, I can just feel like a heaviness. So it's a lot. I mean, and you're, this is like an everyday thing for you now. How do you, I know this is kind of off topic, but like, how do you see all this and like still have faith and humanity? I mean, I will say a lot of people come to me on Instagram when I was talking about it heavily and, you know, involved and, that kind of stuff and especially for mothers people really struggle like not living in fear they want to just you know lock up their kids and like I mean and we know living in fear is not it's not great to have that you know just to be scared all the time how like what advice would you give I mean to be educated and aware but not to the point where you like can't sleep and you have anxiety because I see that so much on social media yeah. Um, I mean, I eat, sleep and breathe this, right? Yes. This is an everyday thing. This is something we do. My kids know what I do. Um, we have scratch off maps in our house. You've been my home. We have scratch off maps and they know what country mom's in or where she's going or what country we have an operation. in. we have people coming in and out of our house, um, security consultants or people who work in the field and, and they know what they do. Um, and so for me, uh, we kind of make these jokes in the trafficking world where we kind of disassociate our emotions and something sad, a Hallmark commercial will come on and be like, oh, if I wasn't so disassociated from my emotions, I'd be crying right now. <laughs> um, but we do. We have to separate that and create a boundary of um, these are my kids and I know how to take care of them well and I know um, what our life is like and I understand what trafficking really looks like, right? It's not necessarily the person following me in Target. They know what, or you understand what real trafficking is and um, be educated on what trafficking is. Um, but also, I think channeling the anger, because it does make you angry and it should make you angry. It should make you uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It should make you, emo- I mean, you should feel sorrow. It's heartbreaking. Um, but it also should make you angry that people do this um, to vulnerable people, children, young adults. Um, but I've channeled a lot of that into what are we going to do about it? Yes. I mean, for instance, those two stories I told you, no one did anything until we did something and no one is going to do anything until we do something. And so whatever the anger and the emotion that's there, um, it's just complaining or it's just fear unless I put it into action. And so for me personally, and for those that I work with, we channel a lot of that emotion into action. How do we, what do we do? What's the next right thing to do? How do we make them seen? How do we make them heard? And what can we do about it? And so we channel into action. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think there's a lot of moms staying at home that consumes so much media that, you know, it's kind of hard to like 
step out of that like scary space and to know what to do going forward. So I think that's great, like educating yourself, knowing what's going on and like what can you do individually. And I think even as simple as donating, right? Right. Yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I love, <clears throat> I love how you detailed like how it looks so different in different regions. Because I feel like locally, well, and maybe not locally, I just think our human nature is to always think of like the worst things mm. always. And like, and when I think of human trafficking, like I, I woke up more to it once we watched The Sound of Freedom. Mm. Like that's kind of what like instilled, I guess, that anger and emotion yeah. um, in me. And... You know, and then that's like kind of what I think is like, oh, I got to be careful that our kids are going to be taken or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. But, you know, and I've, I've been hearing like foster children are vulnerable and things like that. And I've never connected it until you've kind of brought these things up. So that's been helpful for me just to see how it does affect. Obviously, pornography has always been a big topic when it comes to this as well. So, I mean, that was super helpful for me just to piece things together that way. Because I've never really thought, I've heard like different things, but this has just been helpful for me to piece it together. Yeah, I think it's easy to think like, oh, this this is happening in another country and it looks like the movie Taken and we mm-hmm. don't think it's happening in our backyard, but it is. Right. It's literally happening in our backyard. Our neighbors are in the city, in this, especially in the state. It's happening everywhere. Um, I would love to talk about what makes Exodus different. I think um, that's kind of a huge thing that stood out to me and I know you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to dive into um, what you guys do and what you provide and the difference. I mean, I guess we don't need to focus on anyone else and what anyone else is doing, but that was a huge um, piece for me that you do focus on the healing of these individuals. So I would love yeah. to expand more on that. And I think that came from experience, right? We had a lot of operators come together and we worked with several different organizations. You're kind of a contractor of sorts with no contracts. Um, And you have this experience and word of mouth travels of who's gone where and what they've done. And so we had vast global experience, right? We had been in different regions and seen different trafficking and it seemed to be the same problems. And some of those problems where we'd pick up individuals and take them out of their um, environment that we deemed horrible, and we moved them into what we thought was, we deemed was great. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work for them. They ended up going back into trafficking, somehow got back into the communities that they had come from. Or, like I said, a suicide and overdose happened at high, high rates. Um, so we didn't have a lot of success rate taking them from where they were and placing them somewhere else and then leaving them there. So it's kind of like this abandonment happened. And we really needed longer care for them. So Exodus started with this pilot program um, where we spend time in a trafficking community. Uh, We have um, an undisclosed uh, covert way that we do this um, and to keep our operators safe and those that are exiting safe. Um, That is a secret, if you want to say. And we integrate into these trafficking communities. And instead of doing a one-time rescue operation that you see romanticized in Hollywood, and you mentioned the movie Taken, where they're knocking down doors and, you know, Liam Neeson, everyone wants to be Liam Neeson. I can't tell you how many people say, I want to work with you. Can I have the code name Liam Neeson? No. (laughs) So, um, So instead of doing that, but where we only were able to take out, you know, a couple of kids at a time, and then we had poor attrition rates, we said, we need to be in these communities longer. We need to be there. We need to create better relationships with them and help them exit safely. 
um, and create this sense of fidelity that not only empowers the individual themselves, but it empowers the community as a whole, because now they have a platform to stand on that says trafficking is not acceptable and we have exit pathways. And so we integrate into their communities, are able to safely exit more than just one, two, three, four, five, six, and more over longer times, right? Because now we're there for a year. And then that particular project that we funded becomes self-sustaining and is able to be there for another year and another year because we've plugged in community partners in that trafficking community. And then we exit those individuals and plug them into a long-term aftercare program. A majority of these, a majority of the individuals have had substance abuse. Um, they, that's how they cope. That's how they're manipulated. Um, and if you can imagine the mass amounts of trauma on average, an individual that is in trafficking is sexually exploited and having sex acts up uh, at the average is 17 times in a 24 hour period, uh, substance abuse is going to come with that, uh, yeah. to cope. Um, so yeah, I, you definitely need like an, an escape. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Man. Uh, I think we make preconceived judgments when we see individuals with substance abuse problems. They're being exploited. We see these younger girls, um, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, and, and, and you pass them on the street if, if they have substance abuse uh, happening, um, but that's how they're coping, right? So in order to care for them, we need to address that as well. So they spend two to three months in inpatient treatment, helping heal their bodies physically with the substance, with all of the trauma uh, we have individuals who have had um, broken hips multiple times, multiple STDs, uh, lots and lots of abuse trauma um, that has happened to them. Um, their bodies need to heal. And so they do that for uh, a little while, two to three months, and then they move into a home, an aftercare home, um, a restorative home, and um, they get to learn coping skills and they work with other clinicians and um therapist and equine therapy and yoga therapy and you name it to help do some healing work and that is the holistic approach of healing mind um soul you know spirit all those things that come with the damage and of mass amounts of trauma if you imagine being trafficked 17 times a day for six months let alone six years the mass amounts of trauma and how to move on with life is going to be quite an undertaking so we have a year, 12 to 14 months of aftercare. And then after that, our partners who donate, our corporate partners, we want more than just a monetary donation. We want you to plug in. And one of the best things that partners can do is offer employment because these individuals do need to go on with life. So we teach them life skills, have a mentorship program, and they plug into uh, low education, low skill jobs to start working and be a, a value beyond their body. And so that's also kind of a mindset all these individuals, whether they were sold as a child soldier or an orphan or in the sex trade, their monetary value has been based on their body alone of what their body can offer. Mm-hmm. Giving them some type of employment also helps in the healing process to say you are so much more than what someone is willing to devalue you as. You have much greater value. And so we give them something to work on and, and plug back into those community partners. And then some of those individuals end up plugging back into their communities that they came from and help continue exiting and empowering their communities and saying, no, this is not acceptable. So it's a really long process. Yeah, it's a super long process. Are you allowed to share like any numbers? Like, can you say one individual, like this is what we, the cost would be? Absolutely. So um, in the the United States is the most expensive place to operate. Um, It costs us about $120,000 to have an individual exit and go through an aftercare program. So that's about 14 months. 
If you're thinking relatively though, $120,000 for a little over a year of care, of 24-hour care, um, in comparison to years of mass amounts of trauma, um, it's That's amazing. well worth it. We've I worked really that. hard to bring the cost down. Yeah. Well, just when you think of outpatient centers alone, you know, for drugs, I mean, we've had clients that do this and I know what they charge, mm-hmm. right? And some of those centers are just as much as that, you know? For some yeah. people to go to, so yeah, and I love that they're getting just all around care, like you said. They're, you know, I mean, I feel like this is a complete process. They're being taken care of, um, and just so I can put things into perspective for you guys, I posted not too long ago on Instagram, and I asked how many people had been um, sexually violated, or I don't know what the word is right Arrest. now. Huh? Harassed. No, assaulted. Mm. How many people have been sexually assaulted? Almost ever. I think it was like 95%. So like Mm. we as women, this is part of our, this is just part of life. Um, Unfortunately, it shouldn't be. But so I just want you guys to put yourself in a position. And I've shared this on my, um, on our um, journey podcast. I forget what the episode's called. (laughs) But I obviously shared a very intimate and, um, really hard experience where I was sexually assaulted and taken advantage of. And that was just one time and it took me 20 years to work through that. So like if we think about these women that are, those things are happening to them like literally 17 times a day. Now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> like I can't even like wrap my head around that. It's awful. Oh well, yeah. I mean, and think, I mean, I, I think of like the soldiers too that you were talking about and like, I mean, could you imagine the trauma hmm. of like, having to, I mean, either kill your parents or like dehumanize a sister or, you know, something like that is just, I don't, I mean, it's like heart wrenching. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't ever, I don't know. I don't know how, how you escape that. Um, and I'm also grateful there's, you know, Exodus and, and other, um, charities that are helping with this because it is, I mean, I don't, it's just hard for me to even like fathom it, honestly. Well, you can't. And I think that's, I think that's another reason why it's so easy to kind of just like go on with your life because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem real. Like that kind of evil doesn't pop, like it doesn't feel like it's real. Absolutely. It? Well, we, I mean, we see it in a movie, but it's not real, right? It's Hollywood. Yeah. It's actor. We don't, that's not something we relate to. It's something we don't even, even get close to in the United States to even seeing, um, and even, I mean, even the violation of, you know, the sex, the sexual assault 17 times a day, even, we don't even understand that half the time, um, how that can happen. Um, yeah. And so it is, it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And I think you hit it on the head is that we go out, go through our everyday lives because we can't imagine it, but also because it's so uncomfortable and unimaginable, we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. We don't want to imagine it. We don't want to know that while I'm washing dishes, the, the a minute I think I told you the statistic about a minute and thirty seconds how long it takes to load a dishwasher. While you're doing that, on average, five individuals were just sexually assaulted, and it was like somewhere between seventeen and twenty-two times. It's just why you're washing dishes somewhere in the world is happening, and that's a U.S. statistic. Um, and so it's incredibly uncomfortable to think that that kind of um, gruesome activity is taking place um, constantly. Yeah, it's hard. It's just hard to imagine, like, 
how can there be that many people? I mean, just talking about the child pornography that skyrocketed, how are there that many people that like feel like this is okay? Mm-hmm. It just it's just so hard. And um when we went to a um just a thing that night. Sound of freedom. Yeah. Um it. something that stood out to me was something I I have never been able to understand. And of course we don't understand it because it's it's completely wrong in every way. But child pornography, I'm like, how can people get to that point where they feel like that's okay? Like how and it was kind of explained. I mean maybe you have some some different info on this, but it was explained that when you get into pornography and you get addicted, it just goes, you go to 20 and then you go to 18 and then you go to 16. It just goes lower and lower because you're not getting, they're not getting that like dopamine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not getting that hit. And so they do something that's a little more like risky and then, you know, and then it's a, it's an addiction. It's a drug. So that kind of made more sense to me. I mean, even though it's, it's like so wrong on every level and you just can't as just a human who has a good heart. I feel like I have a good heart. It's so hard to like, I just can't, I can't fathom any of it. It's awful. Well, and that's important to understand too, is how cultures and societies can think this is acceptable. Because when I use the phrase trafficking community, I'm really talking about areas where trafficking is the norm. And it, maybe it's not talked about because they don't like it. It's not acceptable, but it is being accepted because of fear or that's just a societal norm. And that's something that as Exodus operators and as one of the founders of Exodus, um, we need to change the societal norms. We need to change that. It doesn't happen from big government. It doesn't happen from celebrity status. It happens from the people and these communities. And for instance, um, we were working with orphans in Eastern Europe and we had to go before the board of health. And, um, and this is a story that's been widely shared. Um, and, we had a boy and in order to get to the United States, you have to have a TB test, so tuberculosis test. Um, there is, if you have a handicap or some type of disability, you are worth more as an orphan child, um, overseas. And so we were working in a trafficking sector where cerebral palsy was what was being trafficked. So individuals who had cerebral palsy, um, they were worth a lot more and they were being beaten. They were used in labor camps and being beaten and starved. And these kids are 15, 16, 17 years old and weighing 20, 30, 35 pounds. So we're talking severely malnourished individuals in desperate need of medical care and have been trafficked for years as orphan children um, throughout these labor camps. And um, one individual in particular did not pass his TB test, and we had to come back to the United States. We have families, um, and we had to carry on with other work and the other kids that we had in tow. And this boy had to stay for eight weeks. We could not get him in a hospital because the societal norm says we don't accept orphans and we don't accept trafficked orphans. That's not a responsibility to take care of these individuals. And they told us no. And we were turned away at very high government officials, um, from high government officials, and I'll never forget this, and um, and uh, I hate showing this because it makes me emotional. I try not to get emotional, but um, I was in front of um, the uh, children's administrator of a children's hospital in Eastern Europe, and I told her, "If you, we need to get this boy. What do we need to do? What kind of referral do we need? We need to get him into a hospital because we can't stay with him." And she said, "You know what you need to do? You need to make sure you pick him up off the street quickly when he dies before a garbage man picks him up." And I, I was shocked and she is talking to a translator of mine and I looked at her and I was just like, you know, if he dies, his blood's on your hand. And she said, 
then I guess I'll wash my hands before dinner. Oh my gosh. And these are, and I got done and I know that my translator is a good, good friend of mine who is actually a resident of that country. He, he knew I was just torn apart because we were turned away from one of the best hospitals in Europe. He's like, the people in our country are horrible. He used different words. (laughs) He said, um, they're horrible. He's like, we've been taught that way. We've never been taught any different. Um, and so that moment, that instance, myself and my team, we need to change that. We worked that entire day to find a hospital. We found a teaching hospital with very young doctors. And as these doctors came into this room, um, these student doctors coming into this room, seeing this boy, uh, tears, they had, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. They had never treated something like this before because it's not acceptable to treat these individuals. They would rather let them die. And so, uh, there, we ended up spending two days filming videos on how to medically care for the individual, this boy, they didn't have the right equipment. We had to make it. We literally were duct taping things together, uh, making feeding, um, supplies for this individual. They didn't have a feeding pump in tow. So we're doing gravity feeds, um, trying to do things and, and fix things together with videos to leave with them for eight weeks because we were going to go and these young 19, 20 year old students were going to take care of a patient they had no idea how to take care of, but they did it. And the greatest thing is, is when we got done with him, we got him to the United States and he was a pro bono case in a a hospital in the United States, a children's hospital. And he's doing wonderfully now. It's been a while. Um, but these young doctors, we actually saw one in Amsterdam on our way home and he was like, ah, oh, I came, I flew down there to take care of this individual because I wanted to know about him. And we're teaching these individuals, you can take care of them. They are our responsibility. We need to see them. We need to hear them. And we're teaching a cultural norm now that is saying this is unacceptable behavior. And we need to teach that. And we teach that in the United States too. It is unacceptable to allow child pornography. It is unacceptable to allow exploitation of our foster kids. It is unacceptable to allow exploitations of a, a single mom that's 20 years old that has no other way out and let her be exploited. It's unacceptable. Um, we, we need to give them more. And, and we can. We have the resources and the abilities to do that. So do you, do you feel like the culture then is changing in these countries? I mean, obviously... These young doctors, they were heartbroken where, you know, for whatever reason, this older generation have somehow become desensitized to, I don't know what you would call it, but anyway, become desensitized. So do you feel like that culture is changing within these countries? I think we're on the tip of that. Um, We're seeing a lot of change. We're seeing the um, opportunities for partners for aftercare homes in these countries um, growing more and more people are, are recognizing the need to house these individuals to safety for the rehabilitation factor. Um, seeing that responsibility and seeing that they have the resources to do it. I think that comes with, I think I told you this story already, but I was working with a partner of ours in Kenya. Um, and we, uh, churches are, are very helpful for us. Um, in the United States, we've come accustomed to short-term missions with, uh, churches and they'll take youth groups to go do things overseas. Super helpful. Young teenagers can do lots of great work overseas. They may not clean their bedrooms. I have one in my house, but they can build a house in Mexico. (laughs) So over spring break. That's a good good slogan right there. Won't clean your bedroom, but can build a house house in Mexico (laughs) over spring break. It's true. Um, But 
they would come through and over the two years I had been working with this particular aftercare home that was a church and they were helping us um, kind of in transition as we were exiting individuals and moving them places. They were a safe house for us. Um, We had been working with them for about two years and a coworker of mine or a fellow operator had hit the wall with his chair and we noticed there was about 14 layers of paint in this church. And over the two years we had been there, these youth groups had come, and, and I love what they can do and the work they can do, but they had painted this church 14 times. And so we're just like, gosh, it's a, lot of, a lot of paint. This is why it's significant, is that these individuals were walking seven miles to get water from a well. Seven miles up, seven miles back. Along that route, militia fighters would take these individuals. They would brutalize them, if not murder them, kidnap them. They'd get picked off by wild animals. If they made it back in, in one piece, they still had to walk 14 miles to get water for the day. They didn't need the church painted. They needed a well. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we can give. We have the resources and skills to do it. But if we're not giving effectively, we've done nothing. Yeah. We actually make the problem worse. And so it's super important to understand what these individuals need what these populations need. Um, That's something we had to sit down as Exodus, and that's why we have a panel of um, survivor consultants, and they let us know, what do you need? What do you need in aftercare? What do you need in the marketing? What images are triggers for you, or images degrade you, or disrespect the entire um, theology of anti-trafficking work? What do you need? Because if we're not doing it effectively, we're doing nothing. And so that's super, super important. And I think our younger generations, these young doctors, need to know what the need was. They had no idea how to treat this individual. We have no idea in the U.S. We're just starting to understand how to treat long-term the healing uh, that happens and the trauma with these individuals. But we need to ask them. We need to take upon ourselves to do some research and not just um, blindly have, have generosity. We need to have you know, effective giving. Yeah, I love that. I feel like, I mean, I haven't shared the story yet, um, but I feel like, I mean, that's why I was attracted to your model and everything, just because I, as soon as I found out about you, I knew, I'm like, yes, I just felt it in my bones. But the other funny thing is, it kept coming to me through different research or different like tunnels, as you know, Um, my friend. Chelsea, who works with my husband, she told me about Exodus at first, and I was like, yes, I would love to meet him. Like, let's make it happen. Never happened. And then my friend Matt, who I grew up with, I got baptized with on the same day, which is super funny. We always joke about that. He messaged me too, and I was like, yeah, I would love to meet up. Like, let's have dinner. And then it just, nothing happened. And then um, my other friend is now your executive secretary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then she texts me and she's like, Hey, we need to meet up. Like, let's talk. And I'm like, yes, let's make it happen. And then it finally happened. But I feel like this was like divine timing just because of the journey I've been on and my healing work that I've been doing and what I want to do. I feel like this was when it was supposed to happen because I've been just doing so, so much of my own work. I feel like if we would have met up before I wouldn't have fully known how I wanted to help and I, I mean we still don't fully know that but I'm very excited to be an ambassador is that what we're yeah what it's called <laughs> an ambassador for Exodus and I'm gonna help I'm really excited to help I don't know what it looks like in the future but as most of you know I'm really um going into a healing line of work I guess I don't know I'm doing my Reiki certification and I'm kind of just seeing where things take me but 
I want to be involved in like any way I can. And I know that all, all of this is just falling together for a reason. Like it really is divine timing. So that's kind of, it's just funny how it kept coming up. It kept coming up and you know, I mean, three times and it's like, yeah, we need to meet up. So I'm super grateful for the opportunity and for you guys as a whole company. Like I just think what you're doing is incredible and I love the education behind it. So one question I did have for people who are listening and want like good information, not like the graphics you see around with like people in cages or the the extreme stuff with the extreme stats, like where can people find the solid, just solid information that they know like this is a good resource and this is legit information? Yeah, we, so our website is joinexodus.org. You can find us on Instagram. We have a new Instagram and new Facebook, so everything is fresh. And um, spell spell Exodus because I thought it was like biblical. Exodus. <laughs> of biblical proportion. <laughs> yeah. um, it's Exit Us. So E X I T U S. So Exit Us. And you can kind of, when you see our branding, you see the word Exit bolded, and Us is a little bit different. Um, but it, it goes off of the clinical term Exodus, which is this mass exit or um, killing something, you know, and we want to we want to end, we want to kill this um, pandemic of proportion. I mean, mass proportional sizes compared to COVID. Um, we, we use the word pandemic a lot right now. Um, but trafficking is a huge pandemic. Oh yeah. And so Exodus came from that. We, you know, when we devised this much before COVID, um, we recognized the pandemic of trafficking and we want a mass exit. We don't want to do individual rescues where we're just, you know, touching the iceberg. We want to change communities. We want to change countries. We want to change the world. It's a very big undertaking, but it can be done. Um, and we can do that by bringing individuals in, um, in our own communities, um, and educating them. Right. And so Exodus, our website, joinexodus.org. We have a lot of education on there. Um, we are releasing a new course. We worked with Polaris project, um, which is one of the best researchers when it comes to human trafficking. Uh, a majority of the uh, legitimate sites that have statistics and have research papers come from Polaris. <clears throat> and of course, we have our own research after decades of being in the field. Um, and we've worked with them to come up with a wonderful course that an individual, a lay person can read. And it's not too heavy and not too extensive, um, but it will give you a lot of really great facts. Um, and then... Um, we have a couple of other things on our Instagram that's going to be coming out for this next month. We have a gala coming up and we'll be deba- de- debuting those things too. Um, so you can get really good statistics and facts that are true um, and true to the individual regions. Yes. Um, because sometimes uh, you'll see facts skewed and they're from a different region. Um, and then they just, people do math and all of a sudden they've come down to a second and it's, it's completely not relevant. Yeah. Um, so can people, do you accept donations? We do. We do. We actually are currently in need of additional funds for an aftercare home. We were just gifted. Um, but yes, you can go on our site and you can donate. Um, and it's, we, so only $1 to $10 of every $10 donated actually goes to administrative costs. We've worked in, cause if I will, Exodus started from operators, right? Yes. So we funded ourselves for many, many years. So we had to be cost efficient because we have families too. And so um, we have worked the cost down a lot. And so we pride ourselves on our, the money that's donated goes to our operations. 
it goes to healing individuals. It goes to exiting them and healing them. And so I can tell you nine out of $10 goes directly to them and only $1 goes to administrative costs. Um, which is actually really, really great. We are super proud that we're able to do that. We have wonderful partners in the communities, the clinicians that come into our aftercare home, um, the partners that give us medical supplies. Um, from aftercare, actual physical homes in other countries, they've been donated. We have wonderful partners and connections that have really made it possible for us to effectively take care of these individuals. Um, and so, yes, you can donate on our website and you can know that you're actually making a really big impact because these monies, these dollars are going to these individuals. Yeah, that's it. insane. Only 10%? Yeah. I know. I feel like you guys have got it down to a science. Like, so good. Okay, well, I feel so like... <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy. Like, it's it heavy, is. but like, also it's amazing to know that there are, that you're out there, you yeah. know? Well, leave on a good note. It is heavy. Imagine when I have to walk into a room and people ask what I do for a living. <laughs> so I was like, they're like, I'm a teacher. I'm a clown. They're like, well, I work in anti-trafficking. You're going to save humans. <laughs> so, I mean, you're a superhero. Yeah, That's what you just need to tell people. I, I mean, get to represent. What better calling in life could you have than to literally save human beings yeah it's like, so powerful it's wonderful and that is the that's a good note yeah. i can leave you on we just had one of our girls who um went through aftercare she had been trafficked for 17 years from a toddler um and she just got accepted to college oh my gosh that's, that's awesome that's huge and so these individuals their lives are being changed and they're able to be an individual and they left the trafficking life and so yes is it heavy and hard yes can we do something about it? Absolutely. Do I think we'll see an end of trafficking in our lifetime? No. But can we make an incredibly huge dent so that the next generation maybe will? Absolutely. Yeah. And we're seeing that. And I mean, even though it's just one story I can bring you right now of this one girl going to college, there are lots of them. There are lots of them that are on the road to healing. And what that does is set up the, the ground and the platform for many more to come. Yes. And so there is hope. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, and that feels like a huge accomplishment. I mean, just given like the ages you talked about, I mean, they're missing, you know, let's say if they get in at, you know, 15, 17, I mean, there's a, there's a big chunk of like schooling that they're missing. And then to make that up and obviously get through like all of the trauma, like, I don't know, that's awesome. Just super empowering. And I love that. Yeah. It's a lot of work. They do a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Healing, just healing itself is like a full-time job and you have, I mean, not having the resources is huge. I mean, just being able to heal. And if you do have those resources, I feel like it's a much smoother process. It's like you're giving them tools in their toolbox to pull out at any time. So if things get hard, they have those tools. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's so empowering. So amazing. Thank you so much for being here and for talking to us, being our first official interviewer it's so fun guest guest <laughs> my words are like everyone already knows me they know i'm really bad with words so it's fine it's fine you're great but, yeah. with words if it's you guys want to know how you can help seriously go and please donate it like we just talked about it's gonna go such a long way and we'll put a link in the description with everything yes and follow them on instagram and yeah i think we're gonna leave it at that yeah well thanks for joining another episode Make sure that, I mean, none of that other stuff like seems important right now. Yeah, so just definitely. go support Exodus. Yes, please that's, go. That's support. What that's Follow, what donate, anything you can do is much appreciated. Yep. Love you guys, and we'll see you next episode. Bye.
If you don't love me back 